Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace, pastor of Redemption to the Nations Church. Listen, I'm grateful that you have joined us today for this message that God has given me to speak to your heart and to your life. I believe it's going to bring you strength and hope. I want you to pay attention. I want you to stay with me till the end. I'm going to come back and pray with you. Enjoy this message today. Proverbs chapter 30, my subject this morning, welcome to the jungle. Verse 30, a lion, can you put that up on the screen, Chad? The lion which is mighty among beasts does not retreat before anything. The lion which is mightiest, the Hebrew says it's mightiest among all the beasts, doesn't run or retreat from anything. I'm going to say it one more time. The lion, mightiest among all the beasts, doesn't run or retreat from anything. How many are glad there's a lion in the room today? In fact, I want to declare there's a lion on this earth right now. Uh-huh. And today I believe God's going to roar in this house. Father, we pray you'll help us preach the gospel today. I pray that you would crown my life with the ability to communicate your word in a way that pierces the heart and brings hope to the hopeless. I pray you would divinely disturb those who are comforted and that you would comfort those who are disturbed. And I pray today that you would speak to hearts, that you would move mountains, that you would shift atmospheres and situations over people's lives. I pray this word would find entrance into the heart of your people. And I thank you for what you're doing. I declare you're on the move, Abba. And we say move, Holy Spirit, move. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. How, how many remember the 80s? Do I have any people in here old enough to remember the 80s? Hair was big. Hulkamania was just getting started. Reagan was president. Back to the future was the stuff. E.T. phoned home. Transformers changed Saturday mornings forever. And Mr. T was the baddest man on the planet. Those of you whose heyday was in the 80s will remember, whether you ever listened to them or not, you will remember a rock band with big hair, Slash who wore a big hat, Guns and Roses. Some of y'all act like y'all listened to him on the way to church this morning. <laughs> and in the mid to late 80s, they exploded onto the scene with an album that has widely been regarded as one of the most popular rock albums of all time. And uh, in that album called Appetite for Destruction was a song, it was probably the most popular song, arguably the most popular song on the album. It was called Welcome to the Jungle. Anybody ever heard Welcome to the Jungle? The song was written about a musician who was an ambitious rock singer who wanted to make it big in the music world. And he left everything to launch a career in what was Los Angeles, California. And the story is told, this is a true story. The story is told that the lead singer of the group, Axl Rose, hitchhiked to Los Angeles. 
And when he arrived there, he opened the door, got out of the truck, turned around to shut the door of the truck, and the trucker looked at him and said, Welcome to the jungle. And the song was written about this young man. It was almost like a pseudo-warning, uh, warning people who have this ambition to go find the big life, even to hit it big. It was a pseudo-warning to prepare the young man for the temptations and the evil and the threats of living in a big, sin-ridden city. And one would think if you want to avoid the jungle, you just avoid those few places where the darkness was prevalent. But the jungle is no longer just a city you can avoid. I don't know about you, but I feel like we live in a nation sometimes that's a jungle. I feel like sometimes the world is becoming a jungle. In fact, this epidemic that I speak of today is an epidemic of lawlessness on a global scale. It's not simply an American issue, it's an international issue. It's a prevailing darkness that touches every continent. It's attempting to rise in every people group. It is indifferent to color and class and culture. It has no preference of race or generation or nationality. And the world feels like sometimes it's becoming a jungle. It feels like it's a jungle because there's a spirit of disorder and anarchy. Spirit of rebellion and insurrection. A spirit of dishonor and darkness seems prevalent. Confusion and chaos. And it doesn't seem like in some places and sometimes it doesn't seem to me like it's getting better no matter how much we do to try to curb it. It seems like it's waxing worse and worse. Love is drying up. In this world we look, we see what looks like a jungle because the reality of it is the love of many is waxing cold, malice and hate, offense and bitterness. The poison of it is in the souls of so many in the church and out of the church. And we used to attempt to push this conversation into a neat little category of inner city problems as if this mess is only happening in the hood. But this is no longer relegated to a drug deal in a back alley on the wrong side of town. This mess is happening in boardrooms that's full of big money elitists wearing three-piece Madison Avenue suits sitting in crocodile leather chairs trying to determine how they're going to replace God and be a God themselves. It's a jungle because the disease of hate is not just something we find among the few. It's in all of our cities and in most of our streets we're poisoned. Jesus said in Matthew 24, nation would rise up against nation. And we read that and we think because it says that that we're talking about Ukraine rising up against, or Russia rising up, uh, up against Ukraine, and that's certainly the case. But the Greek word for nation is, is the Greek word ethnos, and it's really ethnicity rising up against ethnicity. That can even happen in the same country. It's this internal conflict everywhere we look. It's this, Isaiah said like this, truth is falling in the streets. There is an unprecedented attack 
on sanity, moral clarity, and ethicality. We pass laws to save sea turtles. I can't even go to the beach for a vacation and leave my light on because we don't want to hinder the sea turtles. And in the same country, we raise laws to save sea turtles. We scream in the streets to support laws that kill babies. It's a jungle. It's a jungle. We tell a five-year-old he can change his anatomy and his identity, but we can't help a woman know she's a woman or a man know he's a man. And we can disregard all this and stick our proverbial head in the sand and act like when I talk like this, I'm just on a rant. I'm not on a rant. We have lost prophetic moral clarity in the church. Wait a minute. And if the pulpit is jacked up and hijacked and talking about stuff that don't mean nothing, then no wonder we got people sitting in the church who are morally blind and spiritually bankrupt and do not know the truth. What is all this, Pastor Kevin? Is this just a blip on the radar screen? Oh, no. This is what Paul told Timothy would happen in the last day, that in the last day, perilous times would come. Men are not, men are not crazy because times are perilous. Times are perilous because men have abandoned God and turned to themselves as a god. And this is what Peter warned us about living in this jungle. Some of y'all, you know, we got a car in the garage and you got some money in the bank and you sitting up here saying, well, what's wrong with him? You keep on living like that and not praying about this and you're going to wake up 20 years from now if the Lord tarries and it's going to be worse than what we're sitting in right now. At some point, somebody got to draw a line in the sand personally and say, you go follow the gods of the Amorites if you want to, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's some mamas in here. I'm still on Mother's Day. There's some mamas in here that need to throw off the Maybelline and the mascara and you need to put on some war paint. You need to roll your sleeves up and you need to get a prayer life and bind demons and loose blessing. And there's some fathers in here that you need to stand up and be a priest in your house and plead the blood of Jesus and tell the devil to get his hands off of your children's minds so that they become everything God called them to be. I believe prayer still changes things. Oh, Lord. This is what Peter warned us about. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert. Be sober-minded. Your devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. I want to tell you, this ain't going to get no help, and that's okay, but there's a lion loose. And I heard people tell me all my life, he's a lion, but he don't have no teeth. I ain't never seen a lion without no teeth. Jesus jerked his teeth on Calvary. I believe Jesus totally defeated him on Calvary, but there are some people he's looking for. 
It is anyone who will allow him to devour them. There's a line loose. That's, that's why this past week, my son, I told this on Wednesday night, and it upset a few people, so I'll, I'll try it out right now. <laughs> he, he FaceTimed me on Monday morning. Now, you know that I told you my son is in Washington, D.C. He, he was blessed with the opportunity to be a part of an internship for the summer. And so he lives just next door to the nation's capital. So he gets up every morning and goes on a prayer walk at 7 a.m. And he FaceTimed me 7 a.m. on Monday morning. Now, listen, I love my son, but I had to tell him, if you go FaceTime me, it's going to have to be after the sun rises from now on. <laughs> I'm kidding. But he, he FaceTimed me. I'm not really kidding. I'm telling the truth. But he, he FaceTimed me, and he said, Dad, you will not believe this. He said, I'm walking around the Capitol, and there's nobody but another jogger and a biker out here, a, a, a guy riding a bicycle out here. And he said, I want you to look at this. And he took a shot of the nation's capital, and it was, I'm not exaggerating, it was covered in crows. Crows all over the nation's capital. Crows all up in the trees of the, of the, of the nation's capital's lawn. And you can hear them, rant, 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 crow. I'm talking about thousands of crows. He said, do you think this is spiritual? I said, I believe it's spiritual. I, I be you know, crows. <laughs> crows are still the seed. Crows will make a lot of noise. And I told this Wednesday night, and then Pastor Rick called me, and Samuel, the young prophet, got this word and sent it to me. And I did not know this till I began to look at this, but do you know that a flock of crows is called a murder? Some of y'all... Some of y'all farmers knew that. The rest of us hillbillies didn't know that. But the reality of it is, the reality of it is, a flock of crows, you can Google this later, a flock of crows is called a murder, sitting on the nation's capital the day before they tried to ram a law through to kill babies in the womb up until the day of their birth. And I just made some folk mad. It's a spirit of murder. It's not even a party. It's a spirit. You better hear what I'm telling you. We're living in a jungle. And I did not come today to preach about the lion that's roaring in culture or the lion that's roaring in D.C. I came today to tell you about another lion. He's not a purring kitten sitting in a cage of religion. He's a roaring lion who's making noise in our generation. I was studying about lions this week, and I found out that a lion can roar, and when he begins to roar, everybody in his pride begins to roar. This is why I don't understand quiet, dead church. Now you say, Pastor, are you saying we got to do it like you? No, you don't have to do it like me, but you do, do have to do it like the Bible. This mess of coming in at 11 o'clock sharp and leaving at 12 o'clock dull and nobody has prophesied and nobody has prayed and we didn't really preach. We just talked and sang two songs and blessed them, but we got their money. Take 50 minutes to take an offering and preach a sermonette. What's going on in the church? 
I'm telling you right now, this is not the time for the bride of Christ to be ecumenical and to be polite to our own destruction. If everybody else has a parade, we ought to get a parade. We ought to make some noise. The lion of the tribe of Judah is roaring, and the lion never roars alone. Not only does he never roar alone, he roars and you can hear his roar five miles away. When he roars, it shakes the ground. And I was thinking about this crazy world and I was thinking about what we're dealing with and wrestling through and praying to overcome. Sometimes it, you look at it getting crazier and darker and you wonder, is my prayer working? Your prayers are working. I want to tell you right now, the Lord began to deal with me this past week, and I know other people have prophesied it, and I celebrate when they say it, but it, when God speaks it to you, it wakes something up on the inside of you. God said to me, I've been silent, but I'm about to roar. I'm about to make a noise from the west coast to the east coast, from the northern tip of this nation to the, in fact, I'm getting ready to roar in Africa. I'm getting ready to roar in Asia. I'm getting ready to roar in Australia. I don't know who's going to hear it, but I know one thing. I've made up my mind to be tuned in to the voice of the lion of the tribe of Judah, and I want to hear him roar. Proverbs 30, 30, the lion, which is the mightiest among creatures or animals, does not retreat from anything. I want to tell you something about God. He ain't drawing up today. He's not running off in some corner of this universe, popping Prozac, sitting on a couch, talking to a counselor about how to overcome. God is in control. And I think sometimes we lose our confidence and our peace because we get our eyes on people and we get our eyes on this culture and we get our eyes on circumstances. But I'm telling you, there is a reason the writer of Hebrews said, focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and just sat down on the right hand of God. Did you hear what I just said? He sat down on the right hand of God. He sat down after Calvary. He sat down after the cross. He sat down after the crown of thorns. He sat down after they beat him in the back and stabbed him in the side, and the devil rejoiced, and hell hissed, and demons celebrated. We killed the king, but Sunday's coming, and the line's going to run. And I want to tell you that in our day, Jesus has not taken a vacation. He has not clocked out. He is still on the job. He's still in school with your children. He's still in your house helping you raise them babies. Don't you ever let that lying devil tell you that God and his kingdom are in trouble. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. I tell you, I feel him in this room today. And so we have a lion seeking to devour and a lion seeking to deliver. Satan came to devour. Jesus came to deliver. And in the jungle of this generation that we're living in, there's a roar going forth. 
And everywhere we look, we hear the roar of the spirit of this age roaring in virtually every area of society. Every demographic hears the roar of the devil. Every mountaintop in culture is experiencing the roar of an enemy. But the church should never spend more time glorifying the roar of the enemy. I believe the victory for our generation lies in our ability as God's people to roar with the king of glory and to make noise as he begins to make noise in the earth. In fact, I just want to tell you this. There is a sound. How many know that death and that darkness have a sound? How many know depression and heaviness have a sound? How many know that defeat has a sound? How many know that, that all the chaos going on, it has a sound? That's why I believe, and, and when I say don't be quiet, I'm not just trying to articulate to you that volume equals victory, but I am suggesting to you that there is something about victory that has a sound. Oh, yes, there, was, there are plenty of times when we believe in being quiet. Last Sunday night, or the Sunday night before last, we had church, and for 15 minutes in the middle of that service, nobody said a word. You've never been in church, and it feels weird till you've been sitting in church for 15 minutes, and nobody's singing, and nobody preaching. But it's silent as we sit before the Lord. I believe there's a time to be silent. But I also believe that there are times where it requires you crack the atmosphere and you shatter that layer of darkness and you open up your mouth and begin to let the line of God that is inside of you roar against the nonsense that is happening in your day. And this lion is, we always quote this passage over in Revelation 5. John the revelator was weeping. He was weeping because no one was found worthy. Lord, they preached my sermon today. Uh-huh, Tori, you started singing about who is worthy to open the scroll. I said, Lord, she's going on into my message right now. She better stop it in the name. But she started saying, who is worthy to open the scroll? That's not just a lyric in a song. That was a question that was surrounding eternity. In Revelation chapter 5, there was this book, this book of, uh, of God's will that was bound up and the scroll was bound up and they looked through heaven and could not find anyone who was worthy to open the scroll so that the revelation could come. And John, the Bible said, John began to weep and John wept until an elder came up to John and tapped him on the shoulder. And he said, Brother John, Brother John, why do you weep? Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has been found worthy to open the scroll. We always preach about the lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation, but that's not where the lion of the tribe of Judah and that concept began. If you want to know where it began, you have to flip back to Genesis chapter 49. A man named Jacob had 12 sons, and the Bible said in the book of Hebrews that before Jacob died, he leaned on his staff, and he blessed every one of his children. And the blessing of Judah, who was one of Jacob's 12 sons, is found in Genesis 
Genesis 49, verse number 8. Listen to this. Now, Jacob is about to die, but before he dies, he blesses his sons. And this is what he says over his son Judah. Mm, I'm getting ready to bless myself all over again. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. Oh, I feel like preaching, but I'm going to wait a minute. Watch this. Verse number 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Somebody say that with me. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Uh -huh. nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And then he went on and he began to bless his other sons. But I want you to see in this text, in Genesis 49, the first book of the Bible, Jacob, one of the patriarchs, because we call him the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, and one of these sons was Judah. And before Jacob dies, he rises up in faith, and he looks at his son Judah. And he tells Judah, you will be praised by your brothers. In other words, I'm going to put favor on your life. And not only am I going to put favor on your life, but your hand shall be on the neck of your enemy. Uh-huh. And then he said this, you will be a lion's cub. You're not going to be you, you're not going to be just a little kitty cat that gets run over. You're going to be a lion's cub. You're going to start out as a cub. In the first book of the Bible, you're just a cub. But when this thing gets over with at the end of the Bible, I'm going to make you not a cub, but I'm going to make sure you are a mature, full-grown lion with a mane that intimidates your enemy. God, I feel like preaching here. And what I want you to see today is this 10th verse. In uh, Genesis 49, it said that the scepter, everybody say the scepter. The scepter shall not depart from the tribe of Judah. And the scepter there spoken of in Genesis 49 is a scepter or a symbol of kingship and authority. I want you to know that when John the Revelator is informed by the elder in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation that he doesn't have to cry. He doesn't have to weep. Why don't I need to cry, said John? Because look, John, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Rewind. He's talking about the prophecy that was made here in Genesis 49 and throughout the whole Bible. Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd, 1st, 2nd King, 1st, 2nd Growth, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalm of Solomon, Isaiah, the whole book from the Old Testament all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, and throughout the Pauline and the general epistles, all the way till the end and everywhere in between, there has been an attempt to hijack the scepter and to take the rule of authority from the one that came from the line of Judah but at the end of this thing there is not another king that came from another tribe there will not be another king to which we bow down and call Lord there is under oh, there is only one named under heaven given among men where 
whereby we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. At that name, every knee shall bow. At that name, every tongue shall confess that he alone is Lord. I want to tell you that the scepter will never sit in Washington, D.C. The scepter will never be on Wall Street. The scepter will never sit on a man-made throne. The scepter is in the hand of the one who looked death, hell, and the grave right in the eye. And he, he died on Friday, but he rose on Sunday. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fear is gone. Somebody give Jesus praise. And when he says this, I'm, I'm trying here to calm down and behave myself. But something's on the inside of me loose. I said somebody's living on the inside of us. This ain't somebody we visit on Sunday. I'm about to cross over into the I don't give a rip club. I want to tell you right now, I feel him in here while we're singing. And I feel him in here while I'm preaching. Ooh, but I felt him all week long. Go ahead and run, buddy. Go ahead and run. Take you a lap for the Lord. Go ahead. Somebody said, why is he running? Because somebody is living down on the inside of him. Ah. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but let me keep you. Here in Proverbs 30, it said the lion is the mightiest of all the animals. And that word mighty is a unique word in the Bible because it is the Hebrew word jabor. Everyone say jabor. And um, there is a record in the word of God of God himself being called El Jabor. And the word Jabor means the mighty one, the warrior. I got to dispel a notion for you because there is this thing going on in our generation and we are wussifying Well, at first, we're trying to wussify the church. But we're even now coming into a day when we're trying to make God this meek little, um, uh, almost like permission-seeking being who walks around and needs the affirmation of our generation and the permission of his own created people to do what he wants to do. And I want to set something straight for you today. God is not looking for your permission. God is not waiting on you to get your vote together. God is not waiting on a committee, committee to get
get in line with his will. I want you to know if you woke up rebellious and you don't even like God, he's still God. And nothing you say about him will ever make him less God. He's not a weak, anemic, limp-wristed God. He's a God that rolls up his sleeves. And when he walks into the room, he throws his kabod weight around. He shifts atmospheres. He crushes kingdoms. He raises up kings. And he puts his foot on the neck of the enemy. I want to tell you, this is a mighty God. This is a glorious king. Eljabor, look at somebody tell them Eljabor. The lion is the mightiest, mighty Jabor. And then I look over here in Zephaniah 3. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. A mighty, victorious warrior. That's El Jabor in the Hebrew. He will exalt you with joy. He will be quiet. He will quiet you, literally, what it says in the Hebrew, with his love. Ready for this? Because I got somebody this past week. They sent me a little message here. And it's because I tell y'all what I get. Because if you're in here and you said it, I want you to get convicted. <laughs> Hallelujah. And if you're watching online, I want you to get convicted. But they send me this little message, and they say, you know, it's embarrassing. You up there hollering like that. No, 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 don't feel sorry for me. I feel sorry for them because this is what they followed it up with. God never got loud. That's what he told me. So, so let me tell you what the Bible says, and you can settle it with God. The Lord your God is in your midst. An El Jabor, a mighty victorious warrior. He exalts you with joy. He quiets you with his love. And he rejoices over you with shouts of joy. If you prefer the quiet type, I got no problem with that. You can come to church here. We love everybody, quiet, loud, whatever. I'm just saying, don't get nervous when this generation begins to hear the roar of a lion that is making a noise on behalf of those who no one else will shout for. Shouting, shouting God, Woo! shouting God. There's a time when he sits in silence, but when he opens his mouth, he roars and the hills tremble and the mountains shake and the water backs up at the roar of our God. Hallelujah. El Jabor, somebody say El Jabor. It is El Jabor who stood up for a king named Jehoshaphat who was surrounded by the inhabitants of Mount Seir and the Ammonites. And they looked and they saw the enemy coming. And everybody in the camp of Israel began to panic. But the Holy Ghost fell. I said the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost fell on a man named Jehaziel. And the Bible said he began to prophesy. And Israel was weary, and they were nervous, and they were getting all intimidated by the size of the enemy that was coming in on them. 
Jehoshaphat was running his hands through his hair. And he was wondering, what am I going to do and how are we going to overcome this enemy? And the Holy Ghost fell on Jehaziel. That's why I'm going to go all the days of my life to a church where the Holy Ghost is. Because if you're not in a place where the Holy Ghost can fall, you may never get the word that sets you free. But the Bible said the Holy Ghost fell on Jehaziel and Jehaziel began to prophesy. And do you know what he said? The Bible said that Jehaziel calmed the people and he said, chill out. This is the Wallace Unauthorized Translation. Chill out. This battle does not belong to you. This battle belongs to the Lord. El Jabor will show up in the valley of your battle when it looks like you lost the court case, when it looks like you lost and got a bad report from the doctor, when it looks like your children got hooked on another drug, when it looks like your neighborhood is under an attack and the devil tries to tell you there is no hope. I'm going to tell you that there is a point in your journey when you do all you can to stand and having done all to stand, stand. Because in the right moment, in the heat of the battle, Al Jabbar is going to show up and say, hold on, baby. I got this fight. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, I want to tell you that Al Jabbar has come to flex his muscle on your behalf today. Cancer got to get out of your body. Depression got to get out of your mind. Loose them and let them go. Somebody shout all over the church. I'm almost through. And so the psalmist said, who is this king of glory? And the response came, the Lord God, strong and Jabor. Strong and mighty. I don't always feel like preaching like this, but I feel like preaching like this today. I feel like God came to get in the ring and to fight your battle. I feel like God has been watching and waiting and your faith has been getting exercised and your patience has been getting mature. But the Bible said, if you will endure, you shall reap. If you faint not, Jabor is going to show up and deliver. And so, so this is what I want to tell you before I take my seat. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 11 that David, actually it says in 2 Samuel 15 that David was a man with the heart of a lion. Say heart of a lion. He was a man with this, mm, this heart of the rocky. I told Wednesday night, we, last week we went after church. We went to get Devin's favorite meal. It's in a little city called Athens, Tennessee. And it's this five-star restaurant called the Dairy Barn. <laughs> it's Mother's Day. She's the queen bee of my hive. I'm thinking Ruth Chris, maybe Jay Alexander's. Something nice, once a year, something nice. <laughs> And I said, baby, I'll take you anywhere you want to go. Where you want to go? She said, the dairy bar. <laughs> so we load the kids up, and the kids said, where are we going? I said, the dairy bar. The what? 
the dairy bar. What are we getting? Cheese sticks. <laughs> a hot dog. And your mama's going to get some chocolate fudge hot fudge cake. So we go up there, and now we got 72 kids, so we had to drive two cars. <laughs> and so Devin and the, and, and the girls and the baby get there before me and Isaiah in the truck. So I pull up to the dairy barn. Devin is running toward me with, with Zion, my daughter running toward me, and they're holding babies, and they're going, get up here now, get up here now. Devin goes, get the gun, get the gun. <laughs> get the gun. What is this, Jerry Springer? I mean, come on. She said, get the gun. I said, what's going on? She said, these men are fighting over here. And, and, and they're getting ready. They're just throwing blows. And I said, I don't need no gun for this. Let me get down out this truck right here. They, they threatening Zion. I said, oh, no, no, no. Because what you don't understand about your pastor is that I have a BC. I have a BC life. There was a before Christ life. And right now I'm full of the Holy Ghost. But every now and then that old man tries to ride. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. And it don't happen often, but if you ever put your mouth or your hands on my back, you don't do this with me. I don't even need a gun for this situation. I'm about to handle some stuff. Somebody said, was this five years ago? This was last Sunday. And I got out the car and I walked over there and I just walked up. And these dudes just took off walking the other way. Somebody said, what is that? I tell you what that is, that's Jabor. That's what we're missing in the church. I'm not talking about my masculinity. I'm talking about a revelation of a God who gets out of the truck and walks up into the middle of a fight and flexes his muscle and reminds the devil I already defeated you. You're already defeated. And here's what I want to tell you. Greater is he that is living in you than the one that's living in this world. Woo! So, let's just take a 15-second praise break. Somebody give it glory. Yes. I feel Jabor in this house. Here's my point. First Chronicles 11. Y'all can stand. I'm through. First Chronicles 11. David is a mighty king. He has a heart of a lion. But when I taught you several weeks ago about David being in a cave, and they came to David at Adullam, broke, busted, and disgusted. They walked into that cave with that king, defeated, depressed, and in debt. But by the time you flip over to 1 Chronicles 11, these 400 men that joined him in a cave are no longer called broken, in debt and distressed. You know what the Bible calls them in 1 Chronicles 11? Mighty men. Because when you hang out with a mighty king long enough, you lose that defeatist mentality and you start watching David 
who was the king after the order of Jesus Christ. And they watched David until they got the heart that David had. And I came to tell you, we've been watching our king. And if you hang out with Jesus long enough, you will lose that defeatist mentality that religion tried to give you and you yourself will become mighty in God. See, is this even in the Bible? Greater is he that is in you than the lion that is roaring. So listen to me. I'm going to let you go with this here in a minute. But I just want to prophesy to you this. The devil is not going to stop roaring. He's not going to stop roaring. He's not going to stop prowling. He's not going to stop looking. And we're going to have to stop waiting on him to quit. We're going to have to stop waiting on the devil to quit before we're the church. We're going to have to say, okay, you're going to roar. We're going to roar too. You're going to prowl. We're going out into all the world. Y'all, you're going to be busy doing what you do, but I want you to know, devil, every, every day we're going to wake up and put feet on the ground. We're advancing the kingdom in our high school. We're advancing the kingdom in our middle school. We're advancing our kingdom in the marketplace. We're advancing the kingdom in the financial sector. We're advancing the kingdom in the political let me, let, me, let me correct something too, please. People, people start saying crazy stuff in the church to defend their own side. And they say things like this. Well, Kevin, you can't legislate righteousness. And I say, okay. So what makes you think it's wise to legislate unrighteousness? It's like some people in the church will not be happy till the world is overrun by witches. I just believe we ought to find people who love God, who have a value for the things of God and love the word of God and attempt to lead our generation in a way that reflects God. And I would appreciate it if the church, I'm not even talking about sinners. I'm talking about people in the church would stop trying to hinder the people of God from leading in a way that brings God glory when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. I didn't say that. The Bible said it. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. I am telling you in our day, we need to roar. We're, we're going to roar in Chattanooga. We're going to roar in Cleveland. We're going to roar in Athens. We're going to roar in every community, in every city. We're going to roar in Bulgaria. We're going to roar in Uruguay. We're going to roar in Guatemala. We're going to roar in Africa. We're going to roar in Asia. We're going to roar in Australia. We're going to roar. What are we roaring? What do you mean we're making the sound of the kingdom? And the king that we serve is not a little kitty cat trying to persuade people to believe in him. He's the lion. He already conquered death, hell, and the grave. Throw your hands up if you love him and begin to praise him all over this room. Come on. Just begin to praise him all over this room. 
if you love him, praise him. I, I don't mean as a filler. I mean, if you know that J El Jabor is in this room right now, I want you to lift up your hands and praise him. Come on. Take, take just a minute right there and thank him for every victory. Thank him for every breakthrough. Come on. Thank him for every time he's blessed you. Thank him for every time that he brought you out of a situation you didn't know how you were going to get out of. Thank him. And there's something on that Zephaniah passage. There's something on that for somebody in this room right now. Somebody watching online. Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is in your midst. And he is mighty to save. And I'm going to give an altar call in a moment for people to get saved and give Christ their life. And I'm also going to give an altar call today for people who are already saved but need God to save them and rescue them. Because sometimes we act like the only people who need to be saved are sinners. But I know sometimes as a Christian, I have needed the Lord to come and rescue me. Anybody ever needed a rescuing God? A mighty warrior. There is a fountain who is a king, victorious warrior and Lord of everything. My rock, my shelter, my very own blessed Redeemer who reigns up on the throne. I want to sing it again because I believe he's in this room. There is a fountain who is the king, victorious warrior, He's Lord of everything. How many know he's my rock, my shelter, my very own. My very own. Blessed Redeemer. Blessed Redeemer who reigns upon the throne. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed in this room right now. And you would say, Pastor Kevin, I need to give Christ my life. I got sin in my heart. I, I don't know how to change myself. I'm tired of living like I'm living. I'm dead end after dead end. Or maybe life is really good. You got a successful business and money in the bank and all kind of stuff and toys. I, I don't care what end of the spectrum you're on. You can have things, but if you don't have Jesus and he don't have you, you're empty on the inside. And I'm talking to people today who say, Pastor Kevin, I'm empty and I need Christ. I'm going to count to three right now for anyone in this room who feels in your heart like you need to come to God and give him your life. You need Christ to save you and rescue you. Zephaniah 3, the Lord your God is mighty in the midst and he's mighty to save. So I want to pray today for people who want to come out of the darkness into the light, come out of a culture of death into a culture of life come out of a destiny a destiny that is shaped for an eternity in hell and today you don't want to live like you're on your way to hell you want to 
you want to serve God and you want to make a U-turn and you want to choose God and you want to say, God, I want to live with you forever in heaven. I want to give you my life, Lord Jesus. I want to love you and I want to know your love. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If I'm talking to you and you want to give your life to Christ, I don't care how many drugs you're on. I don't care how many businesses are successful that you got your hands on. I don't care if you're at a dead end or you feel like you're on top of the world. If you don't have Jesus, when I say three, if you want to give him your life, Say, pray for me, Pastor Kevin. I need to come to Jesus today. I want to tell somebody in here, it doesn't matter how long you've run from him. It doesn't matter how many times you've said no. Today is the day of salvation. And if you will say yes in this moment, I don't care how messed up your past is, I'm telling you, every Christian has a past and every sinner has a future. If they will just say yes to Christ. When I say three, just lift your hand up. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I need to give my heart to the Lord today. One, two, three. Lift that hand. Lift that hand if that's you. I just need Christ to come. I see hands up. God bless every one of you. God bless every one of you. Hands from the left to the right. Thank you, Father, for your presence and convicting power. Everyone put your hand down. Here's what I want you to do. First of all, I want to thank God for his conviction. Conviction is what lets me know I need God. And there have been times I needed God, and he, he quickened me. He convicted me. He let me know I was living without him. And that's a gift to every sinner. If you're feeling that, you raised your hand. Here's what I want to do. On your left and on your right, there are people standing beside you on both sides. You may have known them your whole life. You may have never met them before today, but I want you to do this right now. I want you to look over at your neighbor on your left and right and just say this simply. Do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? Because if you do, I'll go with you right now. Just ask your neighbor. If you lifted your hand or you should have, when they ask you that question, I want you to come down here and meet us. There are, there are precious people who've come to this altar to pray with you today, and we want to pray for God to save you. If you lifted your hand or you should have, come on right now. I want to give my life to Christ. God bless you. Anybody? Anybody? Thank you for coming. God bless you. There are more hands. I'm not going to come get nobody, but you ought to come and let Christ save you right now. God bless your friend for coming. God bless your family for coming. Come on and celebrate, celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Oh, come on and celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Anybody else who wants to give their life to Christ? You say, Pastor, I don't have anything to offer him. Oh, that's the grace of God. He doesn't bring you into the kingdom because of what you offer him. He brings you in because of his love for you. Come on, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. I ain't coming to get nobody, but I feel like somebody just wants that. Just, just, yeah, I, I don't want to miss this moment. Anybody? Before we pray this prayer. Anybody else? Anybody else? Hallelujah. Come on. Come on, there's still room and time. Come on. Father, we give you praise. We give you praises. I want you to stretch your hands this way, family, and pray for our brothers and sisters like you wish somebody would have prayed for you had you given your life to Christ the day you gave your life to Christ. Come on, let's just pray for them. Father, we just thank you that all over this room and in this altar right now, people are coming to a saving knowledge. God bless you, baby. It's never too late. Come on. That's right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. At the cross, at the cross, 
Where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy. Come on, as they pray, I want you to sing and Worship the Lord at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart. It was there by faith. I received my signs. Oh, this is beautiful. Come on, sing one more time. I, I'm going to pray for people who need God in a moment, but I want to pray for these people one more time and sing this song while they're praying through. Come on. Where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart, it was there by faith. I received Receive my sight. Savior, he can move a mountain. Our God is mighty to save. He is my, come on, somebody put that in the atmosphere forever. Forever. He's the author of salvation. He rose. Come on, let's sing, Savior, he can move. Savior, he can move the mountains. Our God. Our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Forever our offer of salvation. He rose. How many know he rose? I want to pray. If you're in this room and you love Christ and you're already saved but you're in a place in life, you need him to rescue you. You need El Jabor to show up on your behalf. I just want you to come to the altar right now. If you got to go and you got to get kids, we love you. And we'll see you tonight at 6 p.m. It's going to be an amazing night. But if you need prayer right now and you need Christ to rescue you, I want the prayer team to stay right in this altar with me. I want you to, those of you who need prayer and those of you who need ministry, I just want you to come. And I want those that are staying, I, that might need to go to another key for y'all. I got y'all in the basement over there. Hallelujah. But it's okay. How many know that our God is mighty to save today? I said, how many believe that our God is mighty to save today? He's not a defeated God. He is a mighty God. And as you come to this altar this morning, I want you to come receiving and believing that God is going to meet you at the point of your need as our pastors and prayer leaders pray. May the Lord give us victory. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you leave. I believe this message today is speaking life and hope to you in your journey. We wouldn't be bringing it to you today had it not been for faithful partners around this nation who are helping us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to leave us a prayer request, I want you to go to kevinwallace.tv. Let us know how our team can pray for you. 
You'll also find a place there where you can learn more about partnership, how you and your family can help us continue to spread this good news of Jesus around this nation and around this world. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next week, God bless you. We're praying over you and your family today.